Good morning. It's a, a great delight for me to get to stand here and participate with you in the great privilege it is for us to get to open up the Word of God and hear what He has to say to us. I wonder if you've thought about that privilege before you've come here today. If not, I hope you think about it for just a moment before we go into what the Creator of the universe would speak to us, His creation. I assume that everybody here, individually or here as Redeemer Church of Dubai, has, has some sense that you live your life with a purpose. That you perhaps wake up every day with a purpose to do good to your family, to be a good parent, to be an obedient child. Maybe you have a purpose to be uh, a help where you work, or a help to a cousin, or an aunt, or an uncle, or another family member. Perhaps you have an ambition, a purpose in why you work, or what you do every day. Perhaps that purpose is to get notoriety. Maybe that purpose is to get rich. Maybe that purpose is to just have a good life and a good experience from day to day. All of us have some sense of a purpose. And as a church gathered here today, we too have a purpose, don't we? We all can testify that at one time we had a purpose for ourselves. But now, praise God, we have a different purpose. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, or maybe you've never heard about Him at all. Maybe you've been studying His life for years, or maybe you've come here today, and the fact that I mentioned His name, that may have been the first time you ever heard it. Jesus was both a man like us and the Son of God. The fact that He was a man makes us curious about what was His purpose? How did He live? What was the reason He did what He did? And the fact that He was the Son of God should make us very interested to see whether or not His purpose His mission has relevance and importance for us, those He has created. So, this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 1, that's what we're going to investigate. What was Jesus' mission? And from the text, we'll make two observations about what Jesus' mission was. And then, we'll ask the question, What then should our mission be? And from the text, we'll find that there are two instructions for us, for our mission, our purpose in this world. So let's read Matthew 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 1. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So, our first observation this morning about Jesus' mission is this. Christ has authority over the world. Christ has authority over the world. And we see that in verse 35. Matthew 9.35 is, is a summary statement of what Matthew, the man who wrote this gospel, has been explaining for the last several chapters. As Christ went throughout Galilee and the surrounding region, the people saw something unique about him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralytic. And when the man walks up and carries off his mat, the crowds were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. When Jesus taught in the Jewish synagogues, what was it? that these people heard that was so remarkable to them? What was so different than the other rabbis and teachers that they had heard their whole lives? It was Jesus' authority. When Jesus taught from the Old Testament, He taught as the one who had spoken the Old Testament. Not as someone simply trying their best to try to understand it. He has authority over Scripture because Jesus is Scripture's author. His authority was also clear as he went around the region preaching the good news of the kingdom. It's the message that starts with God made us. And as our maker, he has authority over us. It tells us both how we've rebelled against him, a holy God, and what that rebellion will cost. If we don't turn, if we don't repent of our sins against this holy God, we will die and we will face a just and right eternal punishment for our sin. We might not naturally think of it this way. But part of the good news is that we have the opportunity to hear about the right judgment of God that is coming against us. It tells us of our need to be rescued from the penalty of sin. But we won't welcome this part of the good news, will we? Until we humbly admit ourselves that we are sick. We're sick with sin. We're diseased. 
were dying. And early in verse 12, Jesus agrees with that. He says this very thing. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. See, his point in saying this was not to say that, well, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are some who need Jesus to heal them, but then there are all these other people who are well enough on their own and they don't need Jesus. Every person, every person, who heard Jesus say those words that day, and every person before, and every person since, and every person here this morning, you and me, we are all sick with sin. There is no such thing as a person who doesn't need God to wash them clean from their infecting sin. We are all cursed. We are like the woman in the Gospels who had been suffering her whole life. She had tried everything to get healed. And her last chance was to desperately reach out and touch the bottom of Christ's clothes. We are like the paralytic man who for 38 years sat by the pool of Bethesda, hoping, unable to move himself, but hoping someone would come along and move his body into the pool so that he might be healed. We are like them. Our sin leaves us paralyzed, enslaved, and hopeless to save ourselves. Friend, If God, the perfect physician, has given you this sober diagnosis of yourself this morning, will you agree with him? Or will you continue on thinking you're well enough without him? I said earlier that God's authority over us is where the good news of Jesus begins. Because it shows us that we need to be saved from sin. But there is more to the good news. Jesus, the Son of God, He came to earth. And He used His authority to accomplish salvation. And forgiveness of sins in His name through His death. And through His resurrection. And now here we get to see that He welcomes us you and me, to put our faith and our trust in Him and come out from that terrible curse of sin and live in His kingdom now. We get to know now His joy. We get to know now His peace. We get to know now His life. And we will get to know that forever in His kingdom. That's an invitation to us to come out from sin To have a promise that one day no longer will we feel the effects of the curse. No more disease. No more affliction. Because Christ will end it all. Sin and death. And Christ the Creator will make it all new. Praise God, church. We have experienced this forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And let us not, as the psalmist says, forget all His benefits. Who forgives all our sins, 
who heals all our diseases, who redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. Worship God, who for us is both holy and healer. Worship God, who is the giver and creator of life and who for us gave his life. If the Lord exercised such authority in saving you, in saving me, brothers and sisters, we can be sure he is going to continue to use that authority for our ongoing good. So that's our first observation about Jesus' mission. The second observation about his mission from this text is in verse 36. Christ shows compassion for the world. Let's read verse 36 again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I'm 31, and when I was 20, 11 years ago, I had a job working as a uh, quote-unquote road manager. I traveled along with a well-known author and radio TV personality in the United States, and I did this for almost a year. And our job, my job, the reason why I was hired was for us to do a tour of the entire country in order to promote a book that this man had written. So every day we got on a bus or an airplane and we traveled to a different city. And we would set up, we would get there, there would be a long line of people who would come to buy the book and get it signed by this man. And we would cycle through all the people and then we would get in the bus and move on. It was a very hectic schedule. We were nowhere for very long. We were usually in five cities every day. Hardly enough time to get to know anybody that we crossed paths with. Jesus' ministry wasn't like that. Matthew tells us that when Jesus ministered to the sick and helpless, as he moved from place to place and saw crowds and crowds of people, more than I ever encountered in this job, he was not just going through the motions. It wasn't like an assembly line of people that I had to set up in my job to move people quickly through who would come and shake Jesus' hand and Jesus would give them a clean bill of health and then Jesus would get into a boat or move on really quickly and not interact with anybody. He didn't minister like that. No, see, Jesus was involved, mind, body, soul, in his mission. Jesus looked at this throng, this crowd of sick and dying people, and he was deeply moved by what he saw. The text tells us that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, because they were harassed and helpless. The fact that Jesus was so moved with compassion tells us and shows us what God wants for us. Jesus wanted these people. Jesus wants us to know the joy and the peace and the grace and His love that we experience when He becomes our shepherd. When we look to Him to guide our lives. He looks at the people and sees them suffering. Not just suffering from, from sickness or uh, from disease, 
but suffering from abuse and completely unable to see what to do or where to turn. Here was the Savior in front of them, yet they couldn't, they couldn't see Him because they didn't know what to look for. Their leaders should have been the first to see Jesus and rush to Him and say, come along, follow. This is the Good Shepherd. He's here. Ezekiel 34, when, when we were scattered and helpless, God promised, I will search them out and I will rescue them. And God's promise is here in front of us. Jesus is here. The leaders should have been those first to respond. But as Ezekiel 34 tells us, they had abused their authority. And now, as we see too clearly in the Gospels, they were trying to use their authority to turn people against Jesus. Sadly, each of you could also probably tell of a person. Someone you saw in the news. Someone you met in a church. Someone in your family. Someone where you work who misrepresented God and Jesus by the way they abused their authority. If we've grown up only knowing fakes and counterfeits, it will be very hard for us, won't it, to see the genuine article, even when it is right in front of us. If that's your experience, this passage shows us what Jesus is really like. He doesn't pray upon the weak. He doesn't crush the downcast. He doesn't break the bruised. He doesn't run when he sees the unrighteous. He sees helpless people and he goes to them to heal them. He looks on those who have been chained by despair and he feels with them, he feels with us the crushing weight of that. He sees sin in our life and he despises it for what it has done to us and for what it has done to the entire world. If you've never seen this Jesus and you've only been shown terrible misrepresentations and counterfeits, I invite you to come and look at Him as He truly is. If you have doubts about whether or not God could possibly love you, look at yourself through God's eyes. God's desire is not to abuse you with His authority. Yes, He's going to be lovingly honest with each and every one of us about what His authority means for us if we continue to reject Him. And that is loving for us. But if you submit to Him, and if you trust Him, He will use the authority of the Creator of the universe. He will use it for you to love you, to guide you, to protect you. You will never know kinder and gentler authority than you can know with Jesus. Those of you who have authority in your job, in your home, or in some other place, when you use your authority, does it look like Christ's compassion? 
who seeks to lead with love and understanding? Or does it look like something else? Pastors, elders, teachers in this church, Christ's compassion should be the key to your leadership. You are the under-shepherds. You are those who have been commissioned to lead the sheep to see and follow Christ, the great shepherd. Help everyone under your care to know what they are looking for. Preach Christ clearly. Model Christ lovingly. Follow Christ faithfully. That kind of leadership is going to help the entire church flock to experience and understand Christ's love and care for them. Now, let's be careful. We should not confuse Christ's compassion with pity. Pity is feeling for somebody, but from a distance. It's sympathy, but without any kind of interaction. Compassion is an active expression of love and affection. And there is no better picture of compassion than the cross on which Jesus died for us. To what degree would Jesus enter into our world in order to save us? To what extent would he experience the sin-sick reality that all of us live in, in order to deliver us? Isaiah the prophet has a great answer to those questions. Listen to what he says in chapter 53 of Isaiah. He, Jesus, the one prophesied about in this passage, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Our good shepherd, as this text tells us, became the sacrifice necessary to pay the penalty that we deserved for our sin. He became like us in order to save us. He saw that we were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he provided relief and rescue by giving his life. And as you read through the Gospels, you see that this kind of compassion, it didn't stop even as he got nearer and nearer to the cross. And even in his dying breath, he prayed. For the very people who executed him. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they do. You may be here and you have rejected Jesus Christ. Up until this very moment. There is no sin that you've committed. That has put you out of the shepherd's reach. There is no deep hole that you have fallen into where he cannot find you. If you have hated him, his hatred or your hatred for him 
will not stop him. Your rejection does not give him second thoughts about whether or not it was worth it to give his life on the cross. Raise your voice this morning and cry out to the shepherd, Jesus Christ, to find you, to save you. Trust him. Repent of your sins and believe and come alive today in the warmth and the joy of God's love for you. Fellow Christians, if Christ's compassion moved him to give his life for us, what might his compassion move us to do this week for one another or for those outside these doors? His compassion for us is unlimited. Are there any limits to your compassion? Christ's mission to the world was to show his authority over the world and show compassion to the world, for the world. So then we turn and ask the question, if that's true, what then should our mission be? And we find two instructions in this text. The first instruction is this. We need to pray for the world with Christ's compassion, trusting in God's authority. In verses 37 and 38, and the beginning verses of chapter 10, we see Christ's mission statement for his church. This is what we as a church, Redeemer Church of Dubai, this is what Jesus Christ wants us to be doing. This is how we are to be active in carrying out his gospel-proclaiming, sinner-saving mission in this world. What Christ sees here in the crowds in verse 36 moves him. And he turns in verse 37. And he makes an observation to his disciples. And this observation gives us just another look at the deep compassion of our Savior. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Those words show a longing, don't they? On the part of our Savior to have those outside his kingdom brought into his kingdom. The image of the harvest stands for the crowds that Jesus saw. It stands for the spiritually sick in need of healing, the blind who need to see Jesus, the dead who need to be raised to life. And the image is just as applicable today, almost more than 2,000 years later, just as applicable today as we sit here in Dubai, those wandering in darkness around us, in the Middle East, in India, in China, in the Philippines, in Africa, in the West, and all over the world. The other thing we see is that the harvest is plentiful. And this is the great potential of gospel missions. Plentiful is a positively open-ended amount. We don't know how much that is, and I think that's Jesus' point. So when we, when we think and we look around the world and we think we are seeing the end of the harvest field and God's saving mission is done and countries block Christian workers from entering their borders, we then start hearing testimonies from inside of people hearing the gospel and being delivered. When governments seek to cut down the harvest by 
persecuting Christians violently, the church grows. And converts are multiplied in spite of oppression. If we are to believe God's promise to Abraham, made thousands of years ago, then we can know that the harvest is going to be at least as plentiful as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Do you know what this means? God is determined to save a lot of people. Heaven is going to be full of a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-language harvest. And friends, what better place to know that is true than to sit here in this room, in the middle of Dubai, having watched God bring people from every language, tongue, and nation to hear the gospel and respond with saving faith. It's a wonderful truth that the harvest is plentiful. But there's a pressing need behind Christ's words. A harvest season is not forever. I have a friend who is a farmer who's responsible for about a thousand acres of wheat. He owns that land. It's about four square kilometers. And so he faces the pressures of harvest every year. He says that when his crop is ready for harvest, then he works 18 hours a day every day to try to get that harvest in as quickly as possible. Because the danger is, is that if he doesn't work this hard, if others with him don't work tirelessly and around the clock, the crop could be lost from hail or wind or fire from lightning. And if you lose the crop, you lose the whole year's income. There's an urgency too. In the same way for bringing in a physical harvest, there's an urgency behind Christ's words in bringing in the spiritual harvest. There is a window of time for this harvest. And currently, Jesus says, there aren't enough workers. Christ says, there are plenty of souls that I will save, but I need laborers to go out to them with my gospel. And I know Jesus said this a long time ago, but the, the truth remains. The workers are still few. I know many people have been sent out to the farthest reaches of the world. The laborers are still few. We must pray. This is Christ's first instruction to us. Notice his first instruction is not, okay, The harvest is plentiful. Now go do something big for God. No, it's depend on God. Why? Because the text tells us. It's God's harvest. It's His harvest field. And so this instruction from Jesus that the first thing we should do is pray is liberating for us as we seek to evangelize as we seek to share the gospel because it shows us that God is personally invested in the mission he calls us to. We can ask him and we can know with confidence that the Lord God will solve the problem himself by sending out laborers into the harvest field. And it's liberating for us because we see that God is in charge. Getting the harvest in is something that he is going to take care of. It doesn't depend on us. 
If it did depend on us, Jesus would have said, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, so go labor right now. And we'll get to our part in it in just a moment. But I want you to see this. See, we can't, we can't tell how far or how much is in this harvest field. But God knows every single grain, doesn't He? He knows every single person He has chosen to save. And He will bring them in. So, when we pray with compassion, we are actively trusting in a compassionate God who will use His power and His authority to show His saving compassion to those we pray for. When we pray with compassion, we are actively trusting in a compassionate God who will use His power and His authority to show His saving compassion to those we pray for. The best way to know God's mission for us, church, is not first and primarily to resolve to do something or find out what we can do for God's glory. That's not the primary way to know God's mission. The primary way to know, the best way, is to look at and see what is God doing for His glory. And then align ourselves with that. And we do that through prayer. The Lord is committed, and He will send people to do His work. When we pray, God unleashes His laborers into the harvest field. Throughout the world, He sends His messengers proclaiming His life-giving gospel. So, Redeemer Church of Dubai, pray. Pray. Pray like this. Pray with this purpose. God is eager to answer your prayer. And if you doubt that, there is so much evidence around you that He has already answered these prayers. If you've ever prayed that prayer, there's evidence in this room that God is answering. There's evidence through this church that God is answering the prayers. As churches are planted in the region in, in Rasulkaima and Fujairah as we prayed this morning. He has sent so many laborers here in the immense harvest field that is the Arabian Peninsula. And he will continue. So pray. And as you pray in your families, adopt the harvest field that you will specifically pray for. Pick a region. Pick, pick a country. Pray for laborers to be sent to that very place. Pray for more laborers here and pray with the same compassion that Christ showed the lost crowd. Pray that people walking in darkness would see the light of Jesus Christ. Praying with compassion, with Christ's compassion for the world. That's our first instruction. And finally, the second instruction that we see here in the text is that we should go with Christ's authority into the world showing Christ's compassion. And you see that not only in verse 1 of chapter 10, but really in, in several of the following verses. Look at, at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again at verse 1, he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal every disease and every affliction. I think that 
the fact that they put a chapter division here, so you end the chapter in verse 38 and you start in verse 1, I think that's really unfortunate, actually. Because we see that, that the same people Christ told to pray are actually the ones who Christ sends out to do exactly what Jesus had been doing. Often, when we pray that the Lord would send out laborers, we become the answer to our own prayers. When we plead with God to save others, we prepare our hearts for God to send us to them. This verse, verse 1 and following, is how the, the history of the church began. This is how you and I are here today. Jesus showed his authority and his compassion to his apostles. He gave his authority to them to go and show the same to others. And he instructed them, as Dave read before, before he instructed them to go out and proclaim the gospel. Taking the gospel to others, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do whatever I commanded them, whatever Jesus had commanded them. And so the cycle started and has continued until now. And this is how the kingdom of God advances. This is how the gospel conquers death and sin and brings life. And that's why the express purpose of this church is to make disciples of all nations. That is what we do as a church. And gospel proclamation coupled with compassion is how we do it. Speaking the gospel and living the gospel are vital to Christ's mission in the world. Now I know, and I've only been here a total of 20 days. My first visit and my second visit. But it doesn't take somebody with great intellect or a rocket scientist to know that Dubai is a city of great diversity. People from all over the world are here. And that diversity can at times sadly lead to ethnic and racial division that places one person above another only because of where they came from on the globe. Perhaps that keeps you from practicing Christ's compassion to someone not like you. Or maybe it's just some other difference that you know inside that keeps you from inviting your lost neighbor into your home, that keeps you from inviting them here to church, that keeps you from telling them the good news and speaking about Jesus. Are there any ways? Think about it. Examine your life. Is there any way you have put distance between you and unbelievers around you because they are different? Maybe you put the distance on there on purpose because People who are lost do bad things that you try not to do. Maybe you've heard that maintaining a distance from people who are not like you, who don't share your faith, is actually going to help them. Because the more distance, the more stark the contrast, the more they're going to be able to see clearly that you live differently from them. 
And this will make them want to be a Christian. I've heard that kind of teaching. Friends, praise God that Jesus didn't adopt that strategy with us. Had Jesus stayed in heaven, had he not come to live perfectly and die sacrificially for us, we would never have been saved. And Jesus' example is one we want to follow. Jesus' view of us shows us that we're not really that different from those around us, regardless of race or skin color or social status or lifestyle or any other thing. So here are just a couple questions to help us keep Jesus' view of people that caused him to move in compassion towards us. And I encourage you to write these down. And I encourage you to talk about them at lunch. And think together about how you and I might follow Christ in moving with gospel compassion towards others. So, so here they are. Who made the people around you first? Who made the people around you? Who made you? There's no difference there, is there? God made us all. Second question. What is their greatest problem? What is your greatest problem? Again, no difference. We all deserve death, as we've already heard. We deserve death for our sin against the Holy God. Third question. What is their greatest need? What is your greatest need? Again, no difference. We all need deliverance from Jesus, from our sin. Fourth question, and last one. Why did Christ save you? Why would Christ save the lost around you? No difference there, is there? Not on our merits would he save us. We are all completely undeserving. So really when it all boils down, what we see is that there is only one thing that separates us as Christians from the lost around us. And it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with our Savior. It is this, the saving love and grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself gives us this instruction Go out, go to them and show them my love. Show them Christ's love. Tell them of Christ's compassion for them. As the church, we have the power and authority of the gospel. And we have the compassion of Jesus Christ within us. Are you and I open to hear God answer our prayers? Our prayers for the nations by telling us you are the laborer God intends to send. There's nothing to fear. The harvest is the Lord's and He will bring it in. 
The authority over all things is God's. And he has told you that that authority will be applied to you as you go out and do his mission. Go then, God is saying to us this morning, and start treating your neighbor like Christ treated you. Christ says we are his people backed by his authority and he is instructing us to go start building relationships of love and compassion with our co-workers. Go and take the message of Christ crucified, buried and raised again to a rejected people in Dubai or to a remote people across the world. May we hear that call this morning. And become part of the gracious missionary work of God. Praise God that He is compassionately committed to save sinners around us. Just like He saved us. By sending His labors into the harvest. This was Jesus' mission. This is the mission He has given to us. May God find us faithful. Let's pray. We marvel, Lord God, that you would love us as you have. That you would move with such compassion towards us that we were lost and dead in our sin. And we praise your name for the gospel of grace that has rescued us. We ask for any who still wander in darkness this morning, who have come and heard of your life-giving gospel, we pray that you would meet them today and awaken them. Bring them to life. And cause them to know the joy of living with you as their good shepherd. And we pray, Father, as your people, that we would, obe- we would be obedient to your instruction this morning. That we would fervently and earnestly pray for the lost around us and across the world. That we would look with eager expectation that you would do mighty works in this land. That you would save people and rescue them. And we pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to your instruction. That we would go and labor for your glory in this place. Give us help. We need it so badly from you. Give us grace. We depend on it. Give us strength for we are weak. We ask all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Please stand as we sing our two closing songs.